This podcast is part of the Acast Creator Network. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hello and welcome to The Stand with Eamon Dunphy. Now, the Israeli invasion of Gaza is continuing. It is continuing also to shock the world. It is a response to an atrocity committed by Hamas in Israel when 1,400 Israelis were slaughtered, and that is the right word, and 250 or thereabouts hostages were taken. This happened on October the 7th, biggest loss of life in an attack since the Israeli state was formed. And Israel's response is now underway. It is an invasion of Gaza. Its stated aim is to obliterate Hamas and indeed to also render Gaza uninhabitable. Uh, Yesterday, the latest shocking incident involved a refugee camp, the Jabilia refugee camp, where one Hamas leader was said to have been taken out. Unfortunately, 50 civilian casualties at least were killed and many, many more were maimed. Refugee camp, of course, is by its very nature for refugees from this warfare and indeed is densely populated to discuss where this conflict is going. It's a pleasure now to welcome to the stand uh, Dr. Patrick Bury. He's a senior lecturer in security at the University of Bath, specialising in warfare and counterterrorism. He's also a former NATO analyst and a former army infantry captain. Patrick, we had a very uh, interested response to your last contribution when you were with us, things are moving on quite dramatically. Can I ask you, first of all, about the difficulty that faces the Israeli Defense Forces at the moment, the IDF as they're called, in undertaking to go into Gaza in a ground attack against an enemy that, to all intents and purposes, appears to have been preparing for this moment for quite some time. Yes, Eamon, and and thanks for having us on again. Um, 
the, the situation, if you think of Gaza as essentially a rectangle and then Gaza City in the top third of that rectangle, um, what the Israelis have tried to do so far at the operational level is attack from the north end of that rectangle and also just below Gaza City, um, which is essentially the age-old hammer and anvil approach. Uh, where one side comes down and forces the 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 force the, the enemy against the the closed door or the anvil essentially, so you've cut across and closed it off. I don't know how successful that's been given Hamas uh, will. I don't know like their appetite actually for standing and fighting. Certainly, there's been some fighting, uh, but whether this is the pitch battles that potentially we're expecting that uh, remains to be seen. And if you, if you, that's, so that's sort of the operational thing. And I can go into the tactics in a minute, but if you, if you wind up and take a step backwards, the strategy here, the the stated strategy of Israel is to destroy Hamas as an organization, because it's such a threat to it after October the 7th. Yes. Um, And to stop it being the de facto government in Gaza. Uh, That's the stated objective. It's very hard to do against an insurgency. Yeah, it's easier to do if a, if the the force stands and fights you and you've got overwhelming firepower. Yes. Um so the Hamas question is why would I stand and fight in the rubble? Yeah, just to be destroyed like ISIL work, for example. Yes, and there's two questions I want to ask you immediately following on from what you just said. One is the Israelis have called up 350,000 reservists. And many of those we understand, there will be hardened troops, of course, going in, but many who will be going into this battle, this war, as it's called, and Netanyahu has said it will be a long war, a fight between reservists and hardened fighters, such as we believe Hamas have at their uh, disposal. How handicapped are Israel in that respect, even though in numbers they will have more. There is an estimated 40,000 Hamas fighters. So it's a good question. Essentially what you have in Israel is a professional corps, which is actually quite large. You know, the whole of the armed forces, including their Navy and Air Force is about 180,000, I understand. Yes. That's professional. So you're going to have brigades and some of them are leading the charge in this uh, this operation in Gaza. the professional ones, the guys in the tanks, for example, um, some of the some of the infantry units, obviously of elite special forces, but the the mobilized reservists, they of course won't all go into this operation. You know, Israel's got other places to worry about, uh, namely the Lebanon and the um, the West Bank, the West Bank, the Lebanese yes. border. So, you know, it's not going to be them throwing in five hundred thousand. It'll probably be more like you know, closer to a hundred thousand that might be able to move in here. And if you take it. Uh, that Hamas maybe have, you know, 30,000 fighters, let's say, uh, then Israel has a kind of three to one uh, ratio. You normally need in combat against four strengths, but the urban environments would sometimes make that ratio. You actually need about 10 to one. It's just so yes. difficult and casualty intensive. So I think, you know, some of the delay in the Israelis actually launching the operation was probably explained by the need to shake out and bring up to speed some of the reservists. Yes. Um, obviously build an intelligence picture. But I think, you know, ultimately a reservist has served. They have done their time. They have done military training. Um, yes. Uh, and, they're, and they're highly motivated in the Israel case to defend their homeland. So uh, the the actual sort of soldier versus Hamas uh, dynamic, I think pound for pound, they're probably going to be relatively equal. 
when you throw in the huge amount of firepower Israel has, that considerably tips the advantage uh, towards Israel on the one hand, and yet the local knowledge and the defensive uh, posture that Hamas have operating in their own area sort of brings it back a little bit too. So you've got this sort of dynamic interaction going on. There's some factors in favor of the Israelis. Ultimately, you know, if I'm calling this from a military perspective, I'm going, they can, they can basically, you know, bomb their way through this. They can, they can just cause so much destruction. And you've got to remember if they're, if to bring it back to their strategy, if their stated aim is to destroy Hamas, the, the second one that comes out of that in, and in destroying, say, the north half of, of, of Gaza, essentially, north, north third, is that they are sending a very clear message to the Palestinians. This is what you get if you support these guys. We will rubbleize you. Yes. And so they're trying also, and it may or may not work. We've seen strategic bombing campaigns generally don't split the people from their um, from their government. It often makes them more angry. Um, but uh, it, it may or may not work. It may actually show the Palestinians this is not the way forward. Um, but it may also, you know, this strategy has the, and I think I talked about it last time we, we chatted, was, the strategy ha- runs the risk of actually creating the next generation of uh, yes, of course, of, of, of Hamas fighters or pro pro Palestinians who are ready to to die in the struggle yes. for uh, for their homeland, essentially. So, it's whether they're taking the real long strategic vision here. I would certainly question that. Yes, and indeed, President Biden urged them not to overreact as America did after nine eleven. Let me ask you though, Patrick, about the tunnels, yeah, which are apparently there are four hundred kilometers of tunnels, four hundred and forty kilometers of tunnels woven underneath uh, the Gaza Strip, which we should say is just four miles wide, twenty-five miles long. It's a narrow strip, and there are two point three million inhabitants, many of whom have moved to the south, as they were urged to do by the Israelis. The tunnels are said to be impenetrable, even by these bunker bombs. And yesterday's incident at the refugee camp to take out one Hamas leader, which uh, the Israelis claim they've done, um, left so many casualties. What's the significance of those tunnels? The fact that Hamas has been preparing for this, we understand, and I'd be interested in your assessment of this, for at least two years. They have been tutored by Hezbollah and the Iranians. And the other significant fact appears to be that these tunnels are said to have been prepared in such a way that they cannot be penetrated by air power. What's your take on that? Well, listen, the Israelis have known about these and they've been surprised by them. You know, they've been used to mount attacks in 2004 and 2006. And then, you know, then obviously the Israelis had cottoned on that this was a, a major development. Everyone in the security environment has known about this for, you know, knocking on for two decades. So it's in, on the one hand, it's nothing new. Secondly, it's there because of Israel's predominance in its ability to collect uh, intelligence and do reconnaissance, yes. you know, so it's an adaption. Thirdly, these tunnels, you know, just to think about it, these tunnels aren't just, some of them are in scrubland and the entrances are camouflaged, of course, but a lot of them in the, in the urban environment are under houses, which, um, and under apartment blocks, especially, which make it difficult for you to uh, target because a lot of the, diff- the munitions you use, even ones with delayed uses, et cetera, will go off on the second or third floor. You know, you have to get something to, if you're going to drop the bomb right the way through the whole building and then into the burrowing into the ground. 
the average depth of these tunnels is about, you know, 10 to 20 meters, apparently, which is some, you know, 20 meters, 60 feet, very deep. And the tunnels themselves are about two meters high. So you can actually walk through them as a six foot person, yes. you know? And so how do you offset against that, right? So that's obviously their advantage. And there's this extensive network. Apparently they cost about $3 million to build each tunnel. Um, and they have lighting in them and they have um, sort of an air filtration and recycling system off them yes. because, you, you know, you'd run out of air pretty quickly. So how do you, one of the things, and this is, explains why the fuel became an issue and why Israel was keen to stop the fuel and electricity going through is they need generators eventually, you know, yes. generally to, 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 to provide the electricity and the fuel. And they also need generators to provide the uh, charge for a lot of the rockets they, lo- they launched, Hamas. So Israel, one, one thing you can do then is target the fuel, target the electricity grid, yeah, uh, and try to sort of starve off the source there. The second one you can do, of course, is the uh, these large bombs, you know, the bunker busters, which basically sort of drill down and, and then explode. And some of those, are, you know, depending on how much munitions they have, are absolutely massive. One of them is called the Moab, or the mother of all bombs. Yes. It was used against uh, the Taliban, I think, in about 2019. And uh, that can leave a huge, huge crater, of course. But it is effective. The problem is you need to know where, where to use them exactly. And also, in this case, you've got this massive worry about collateral damage, which even the Israelis would be um, cautious about using the largest bombs, although we do think they have some of them. Um, right. So that's essentially, essentially it. It's, it's an offset strategy by Hamas, uh, and it will provide, but, you know, ultimately, as we saw in Vietnam, someone usually has to go down, the poor bloody infantry, you know, go down with a torch yes. and a gun uh, and be the person going through and fight through. I don't know whether Hamas's strategy is actually to fight for the tunnels. You know, it's more about a command and control um, transportation and logistics uh, hub. Uh, if you're fighting for the tunnels themselves, I would say you're probably on the, on course to losing, you know. Can I ask you, uh, Patrick, about the Viet Cong and the way they fought the, the United States, fought and won in terms of, of their guerrilla warfare. And it is said in a piece I have in front of me from the the Financial Times, in fact, it's today's Financial Times, about the the preparations for this. Um, There's a man called Mahmoud Ajrami, who's a veteran Palestinian fighter. He's trained this generation of Gaza militants, as they're called in the Financial Times. The, The difficulties facing, I mean, in Vietnam, the United States had overwhelming military power, yet the Viet Cong had them to the point where they were clinging onto aircraft in pictures you may be too young to remember uh, when the Americans were fleeing. Yeah, no, and that's an interesting one. Obviously, the Vietnam War is quite complex, you know. Yes. Uh, You've got the, the Viet Cong who operated in South of Vietnam. You also had the North Vietnamese Conventional Army who eventually basically took Saigon in 79. But um, what you, sorry, 75, I think, was it? Yes. Uh, anyway, the, um, so, uh, the, so the guerrilla, a guerrilla warfare is, is, is slightly different from a terrorist. It's an insurgent and the general, uh, you know, kind of dividing line there is, the insurgency will hold some sort of territory and have widespread popular support, whereas a terrorist organization is more extreme uh, and therefore doesn't have as much public popular support and can't, for reasons of strength, uh, hold any territory. So Hamas is probably more like 
uh, although it must be designated a terrorist organization, it would probably be more like an insurgent force, in fact, that controlled its own area as well. So it's it's a difficult thing to unpick. But the point here is that like a a conventional force is, is wears a uniform, stands and fights, whereas an insurgency realizes it's weak, that it can't actually go face to face, head to head with a, a conventional army and therefore adopts asymmetric tactics. Uh, like like a terrorist attack that it did in Hamas did in October the seventh, like IEDs, uh, like assassinations, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, and so that would be like Hamas themselves are highly decentralized, unlike a conventional army with a hierarchical command structure, highly decentralized, and would adopt the cell-like structure to maintain operational security, uh, which incidentally was invented by Michael Collins. So. Um, the, the you know the, it's got it's much more like the insurgency the Viet Cong model shall yes. we say than the North Vietnam. You know? Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two year contracts, they said, "What the f- are you talking about? You insane Hollywood ass." So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Let me then ask you about the possibility, and it it is, many observers believe, a very real possibility that uh, this war will suck in Hezbollah, the Iranians, and the Arab street, as it were, will demand uh, resistance. Because for one thing, the United States appears to have significant military involvement. And many people talk about the dangers of this becoming a full-blown war in the Middle East, a real 
international crisis. Well, it is an international crisis, but something in terms of warfare that is much bigger and does involve the United States in in warfare. Yeah. So I think, look, perception, especially in, well, everywhere is important amongst the general population, and especially in the Middle East amongst its population. So what I hear from some of my friends out there who, you know, speak the language, live there, is that we don't in the West understand how badly this is going down. For example, all the leaders going over to speak to Netanyahu before the Grand Invasion and show their support outwardly, probably urging restraint um, privately. Uh, you know, that went down on the Arab street like, oh my God, this is a war council. They're all coming out to support Israel. Yes. You know, the nuance potentially of it was missed. And um, secondly, the, the, the lack of parity between the 1,400 Israelis killed brutally, absolutely horrifically killed by those Hamas terrorists um, were, uh, you know, is, 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 does not match the reportedly, you know, we are reliant on, on Hamas figures here from the health ministry, but about 8,000 civilians. Um, and that, the lack of esteem of Arab life in the Middle East, uh, sorry, viewed of the, the Western lack of esteem for Arab life viewed from the Middle East is another yes. thing of great, great anger and continual anger. And they can draw that back to other invasions like Iraq and Libya, et cetera. So, and they have, the Israelis have called the Gazans and Hamas animals, but they call yeah. the Palestinians animals. Is it significant, do you think, um, that Anthony Blinken, the US Secretary of State, is returning to... Israel on Friday. That is the third visit uh, that they will have, uh, that he will have made. Is it conceivable that he is returning to restrain uh, Netanyahu and to uh, get him to think again? I think that's it's not inconceivable, but it's it's very possible. And um, you had the uh, U.S. Marine Corps general who was sent out to uh, have a look at their plans. Uh, and then was, you know, recalled quite quickly um, once it became clear that Israel was going ahead with a ground invasion. I think, so the U.S. has to be careful about what the optics of this is I was getting at as yes. well. And um, I would not be surprised. I'm, he's going to turn up and go, well, what's the plan? He's going to say, look, we're concerned here that you have been, this is, this whole thing is what we call in the military a come on, you know, that they do something to you that wants you to come on to them. Yeah. And then you do something worse. Yes. And uh, therefore, like in, on the one hand, at the strategic, they're just falling into Hamas's trap. It's so clear. And they're isolating and making enemies of the next generation of Palestinians yes. and Arab world. Just at a point when, guess what? Things were going to become a bit more normalized. And there was some some hope for not, a, not I mean, the Palestinian question still remained, but at least a normalization. Well, the Saudis, for example, were prepared to have diplomatic yeah. relations with Israel. Yeah, exactly. So, um, and there was a few others lined up too, which looked like it might happen. The so UAE, th yes. Yeah. So I think he's going to, um, I think he's going to basically ask what the plan is. And this is the really interesting thing. Like if they've only taken the top uh, and rubbleized the top uh, third of the Gaza Strip, what do you do with the safe? They've just opened the... Um, the Rafa crossing yes. that casualties out. Um, but is there going to be another operation into, into southern Gaza? And obviously, now that everyone's packed into that part of it, that would be of another order of magnitude in terms of destruction and casualties. So there might be this idea that you've kind of made your statement now, you've rubbleized most of the north, um, 
but you know, so what? What do you do now? Are you going to occupy it? No. So I say the U.S. will be ch- trying to get a sense of like, what is the Israeli thinking? Yes. Where are they going? And what do we need to use some of our leverage, which is not only political support, but also some military support. Israel is quite self-sufficient in a lot of its weapon systems because it has its own industries, but it does rely on U.S., especially for the Iron Dome missiles and extra intelligence, et cetera, like that. So if it really annoyed the Americans, so they're like, this is too far, you could start to potentially see a threat of removing, we wouldn't hear about this, but it might happen, the threat of removing some levels of support uh, in return for, uh, you know, in, in return for, or if there isn't some levels of a strength that keeps the U.S. happy. I would say there'll be go over, this is enough now. Yes, uh, as, as recently as August, Patrick, uh, Major General Yitzhak Brick, a former military ombudsman, warned that Israel was not ready for war. And I, that's a direct quote. Its soldiers, he said, have not fought a major land battle since 2014. And the last time it deployed troops inside Gaza and its top brass had, had been consumed by potential threats from Iran rather than the territory right next door. So his argument as recently as August, which is very recent, um, if you think in longer terms, is that Israel wasn't ready for this. One of your expertise is on the street-to-street fighting and that kind of thing, which cannot satisfactorily be resolved by bunker bombs and heavy artillery and even massive tanks, can it? Well, if you're in, you know, what fighting in the urban environment is very complex. If, if In this case, a 4D environment, because you've got the tunnels, you've got the buildings, etc. You've got the enemy that can use loads of different like IEDs, booby traps, snipers, uh, rockets, etc. It's a close fight. It's incredibly noisy, incredibly dirty, incredibly lethal. Um the fact of the matter is essentially, yeah, tanks with infantry support, you know, that that's what you need. It's it's the it's the infantry in the end that have to get into those buildings and close with and kill the enemy if they're going to fight. And the tanks they, you know, are right there with them because you need the tanks are actually pretty effective in an urban environment as long as you can protect them from the RPGs, which obviously Hamas have a lot of. Israeli tanks to the Merkava are one of this viewed as one of, if not the best in the world. So um apparently the Hamas have like invented their own uh, RPG or doctored one, uh, which can take take it out, but I'm not sure about that. An RPG being uh, rocket propelled, rocket propelled grenade, and right. So the things you often see that, for example, the Taliban hanging on their on their shoulders, etc. And yes. what I would say is the the fighting. Um, as I said earlier, like the Israel can make it's just by sheer firepower you can smash up it, it, your force, stun them, you know. Uh, and then roll over. And it's been interesting to say that the IDF have not issued, that I'm aware of, a list of many casualties at all they've taken so far. No, a, a couple, I think 12. Yeah, exactly. There you go. So that's not much, yeah. right, In for, for four days at least of fighting. And then the second one is reports of pitched battles. There's been about one or two. That's it. So I... I wonder a bit of shock and awe and also a bit of caution whether Hamas has decided, you know, what is the point? We will see. We'll see it. There's probably going to be a stand somewhere. There's often in urban environments, we've seen this in Aleppo. We've seen it in Mariupol. We've seen it in Mosul. Often there is sieges and mini sieges in the urban environment where like um, a bunch of forces get cut off and just stand and fight because that's what they want to do. 
uh, and it takes a while, you know. The other thing is, you know, these those those battles, those urban battles that I mentioned in the last decade or so, you know, a lot of them, some of them have lasted uh, two months, some of them have lasted six months, some of them have lasted, you know, nine months, other ones have lasted four years, if you think about Aleppo. So um, I don't think it will be Aleppo, you know, but I think definitely in, in, in terms of months. And it's throughout that, Patrick, that is it f- fair to say that there are two wars and there's a war that is essentially a military conflict and there is a war that is for the hearts and minds of the watching world, the Arab world, the Western world, the United States where anti-Semitism is on the rise. So that is also a very important factor. I'll tell you what, I'll put on my, um, I'll put on my academic head for a second. And there's a very good book called Bar- War in 140 Characters by David Patrick Arrakis, who yes. knows the region really well. And he makes the point, he was there in Gaza in 2014 and he watched what was going on. And he said that there was the war uh, at the tactical level. I, a bomb was dropped. It, it destroyed this. Yeah. And that's what happened. Yes. And then there was the, the narrative above that, yes. which was how a bomb was interpreted. What, uh, exactly. Was it a Hamas uh, target, a legitimate target? which, you know, the Israelis IDF were saying, or was it a uh, family home, which Hamas were saying? Yeah, yes. so that was the narrative left, right? So how do we interpret that event? And then the level above that is what you're talking about, which is the discursive level, which that is the debate about whether this thing should stop or go. And it's exactly what's happening now. You know? Right. It's, and I said this, I was tweeting, I said, this is how it's going to play out again. It's Israel are looking for the freedom of maneuver to keep doing what they do. And hence, you know, one of the things that, that that has helped play into this for them is, you know, swapping one Israeli soldiers for a soldier for a thousand Palestinian yes. uh, prisoners creates the impression that not only in Israel, but also globally, like, oh, one of their soldiers is worth way more. And this is what the Arab street is so furious about, is it's like, no, it should be equal, equal to equal. If if it was more proportionate, the response was, then people would probably be more, more supportive of this. So I think this understanding the three levels of how we understand the war is actually useful for ordering our thinking. And certainly this discursive uh, level is about should Israel be allowed to keep going or in the, in the Palestinian side, this has to be stopped. And it's exactly how it plays out every time. A final question, Patrick, and it's probably a difficult one. In your estimation, how serious is the threat of this expanding and becoming a regional conflict that involves uh, Iran, for example. Yeah, and and you know we we you asked me that earlier. We kind of dovetailed off into something else, but I think okay. So I, the good news is I think in the immediate term, the most dangerous part uh, moment has passed uh, without a major response, and that was uh, when Israel launched a ground full scale ground attack. It was interesting the way they basically rolled from raids to a larger incursion mindful of not to overly provoke Hezbollah. So I think because Hezbollah has not reacted in a major way so far, uh, that uh, that moment of danger has not totally passed, but it's receded, which is good news. Yes. I think what was going on in the background, for example, of this, and this is where you got a, Iran had done 16 attacks against U.S. bases, Iran-backed proxies, 16 attacks against U.S. bases in the Middle East. These are major attacks using mortars, rockets, etc. In the bases, in U.S. bases in the Middle East, in the space since the, uh, since the Hamas attack. You know, this is completely 
um, dangerous behavior, but it's also messaging to the US that we can escalate here too. Right. And another crucial thing with Biden coming out, first of all, you've had attacks on Iranian proxies in Syria by the US and Israel. Secondly, Biden came out calling this out publicly, saying stop. Yes. Um, so I think and we'll see what happens, but hopefully the, the, the message there is getting across and I would hope that the wiser heads will prevail and it will be managed. I don't see who, apart from potentially um, Iran's and a favor, a massive conflagration in this area that isn't really in, in anyone's interest. Um, apart from, you know, Hamas, I think, who, who wanted to provoke this. And, you know, in many respects actually aren't, you know, by the way they've acted and knowing what would come and, and basically putting the bait out there for the Israelis to take. You know, they've shown as well that they're not actually interested in, uh, in very interested in saving Palestinian lives either. Okay, Patrick, we're very grateful to you indeed. Uh, Dr. Patrick Bury is a senior lecturer in security at the University of Bath, specialising in warfare and counter-terrorism. He's also a former NATO analyst and has served as an infantry captain. We're very grateful to you, Patrick. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks to all of you for listening. That's all we have time for now. We'll talk to you soon. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.